Hey there, whizzes. You are listening to episode 140 of the Food Biz Wiz podcast. And in today's episode, we are kicking off season number 13 with another rapid fire Q&A show. This has become a little bit of a tradition around here. And I really like doing these super quick, less scripted episodes where I get to answer questions off the cuff. So in today's show, we are talking about moving from farmer's markets to wholesale stores hiring VAs, those are virtual assistants, how to get wholesale buyers email addresses and contact info, and how to shift and become proactive in your business instead of being reactive. So let's get right into it. I'm Allie Ball, former grocery buyer and retail store manager turned wholesale consultant. In my role on the retail floor, I saw delicious, values-driven brands fail on our shelves simply because they didn't understand the behind the scenes of wholesale. I created the Food Biz Wiz podcast to give you hard-to-access insight from my career in the food industry and the tools and strategies to help you succeed on retail shelves. If you're a committed food founder who's looking to create and grow a packaged products business that positively impacts our food system, puts wealth back into your own hands, and employs members of your local community, you have found the right podcast. Let's do this. Hey, before we jump in, I want to make sure that you've grabbed my free retail roadmap, a workbook that outlines my nine steps to building a brand that flies off the shelf. If you're a producer of a packaged product in the food industry, you are going to want this. I'll add it to today's show notes, so make sure you check out that PDF when you're done listening. Thanks. I cannot believe that we are already kicking off season 13 of the podcast. This just feels nuts to me. 140 episodes. Wow. Just want to take a little time to appreciate that before I get into today's rapid fire. I tend to do this little appreciation as I enter into each new podcast season. And I want to reflect on something with you guys here. It takes me about three hours to do a podcast episode from scripting it to recording it to editing. I don't do the editing, but someone else does to sharing it on social media and getting it into your earbuds. Frankly, a whole bunch of other tiny steps along the way, three hours. So three hours, think about this, three hours times 140 episodes is 420 hours of podcasting. So let's see, if we just, if we divide that into the standard eight hour workday, it is 52.5 days of podcast work. Oh my goodness. So this means that as I'm headed into season 13 with you guys here, I have put in 52 work days towards delivering content to you. That's 10 weeks of podcast work full time. <laughs> wow. I mean, that that's shocking to me. Okay. So enough with the math. Thank you for listening as I talk that out. And I share this, I share the numbers with you for two reasons here. First, to say that we have a ton of content here. So did you know 
If you go to our podcast website, you can sort all 140 episodes by category, ensuring that you get an episode that you need the most. So we've got categories, category tags around sales strategy, brick and mortar, diversity in our food industry, marketing, e-commerce, food financials, and a whole lot more. So just click through to the podcast page. I'll link it in the show notes. And on that pink banner on the left-hand side, you can sort by topic. That is really helpful as we've got 140 episodes now, and I can't expect you to listen to every single one. And then the second thing that I want to share here, or the second thing I want to say as I recognize how much work goes into the podcast, 52.5 full-time days so far, is I want to ask if you're going to do me, if you will do me a favor right back and share this podcast with your food community. We put in so much effort into the making of this podcast. And frankly, there's got to be a payoff on the other end. (laughs) And the payoff for me is knowing that we are helping food producers, that we are giving free content to food producers. So can you please help us spread the word by snapping a screenshot and sharing this podcast to your stories, tagging me at It's Ali Ball as you listen, or sharing this episode directly with a fellow food founder. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, reviews on Apple Podcasts are also super appreciated and a way to help us out here. Okay, so let's dive right into this rapid fire episode to kick off season 13 of the podcast. Okay, again, here's what we're going to cover. We're going to talk about moving from farmers markets into wholesale stores and the things that you need to think about along the way. This goes to anyone who is moving from one channel to another, right? So think about you yourself and how this applies to your business, regardless of whether or not you actually do farmer's markets. We're going to talk about hiring, hiring virtual assistants, and same goes, hiring a first hire in your business, a second hire, a third hire in your business. We are going to talk about my two tips of advice for getting wholesale buyers email addresses, and why that actually might not be as important as you think. And then finally, how to start being proactive instead of reactive in your business. Okay, so first up, how to switch from farmer's markets to wholesale stores. This is a big topic, but I'm going to keep it really high level for our rapid fire episode here. So step one, are you listening? Join us inside of Retail Ready. (laughs) Okay, so you knew that I was going to say that, and I am being a little bit cheeky here, but I'm going to say that this is exactly what we do inside of Retail Ready. We teach brands how to navigate this complicated world of wholesale. So most brands who join us say that they wish they joined us sooner in Retail Ready. So as soon as you've got your production down and you know that you are ready to pursue wholesale, or you know that you are ready to grow in wholesale, you might already be doing wholesale, lots of brands are, come and join us. I am going to link up the course outline for you in our show notes so you can see exactly what we cover in every single module of Retail Ready. So beyond that, all kidding aside, actually, I'm not kidding there. I don't, I shouldn't say that. Beyond that, step number two, (laughs) I want you to fully, fully understand your financials and what it means to sell through wholesale channels. If you don't have a clear understanding of your wholesale margins, including adding in a broker and a distributor margin, even if you never have any intention of using brokers and distributors, don't proceed 
with wholesale. So have a super clear understanding of your financials before you get into it. So often brands come into retail ready. They've been selling wholesale for years and years and years, and then they're ready to add a broker or add a distributor, or frankly, they just look at their profit and loss statements and they're like, oh shoot, I'm not making any money in this channel. We don't want that to be you. So we want you to have a really clear understanding of your financials before you pursue wholesale. Then your next step, let's say you've you've done all the numbers, you are ready to go. Your next step is to get your pitch materials in place. Craft your sell sheet, your price list, and your sales pitches, your sales pipeline, your follow-up strategy, and then go out there and do it. So many people get stuck here on the thinking phase and they don't actually go and do it. So that's the next step for you. And then finally, from there, you are going to need a plan to sell off the shelf once you're there. Again, this is exactly what we do inside of Retail Ready. And I don't want you to miss this crucial step. So in the farmer's market, it's relatively easy to sell your product over the table to the consumer. You are there, you're face-to-face, you're smiling, you're charming, and you literally do all the talking for your product. When you're on the shelf, however, you're obviously not there to hand sell your product. So what's your plan for making the sale happen in your absence? You've got to think about this strategically and you've got to put this in place or, you know, start to think this through, have a plan for it before you go all in in wholesale. Okay. So I hope that gives you a general idea of the steps to take as you start thinking about changing channel strategy. So for the person who asked this question, come back and DM me and tell me how this landed with you and what steps you need to take first. Okay. So next up. How do I hire a VA? How do I hire a virtual assistant? That's what it stands for. Tell me your do's and your don'ts, Allie. Okay, so I have experience hiring VAs in the past. We hired a few of them actually over uh, the first few years of building my business. And we eventually did move to employees in our business rather than virtual assistants and contracted positions. But I fully, fully endorse starting small, with a five to 10 hour a week person who can lend a hand in your business. The best thing is about virtual assistants is just that they are virtual. Let me be clear. They are a real person. We're not talking about like virtual reality here or (laughs) bots or anything. They are a real person. They just work remotely. They work from anywhere, which is great because as a growing brand, you don't need to have an office or a physical space for them to work out of. Plus, it means that your applicant pool can be much, much larger. So for some do's, do prioritize handing off repetitive tasks in your business. VAs are not mind readers or strategic partners, or frankly, they're not often being paid to do very much critical thinking work. The whole point of hiring a VA is to get tasks off your plate. So you want to identify where you're spending your time on repetitive tasks week in and week out. You might even time track it. That's what we used to do. That's what actually a lot of my team still does. We time track what everybody spends their time on. And if you see those repetitive tasks 
you start handing them off. So you, if you, again, you see yourself spending your time on the same things week in and week out, that's what you hand off first. So this might be something like email cleanup, sending invoices, scheduling social media posts, responding to customer service inquiries, whatever it is, it is helpful if you hand off the most straightforward, the most repetitive tasks first. Your VA can always grow and take on more with time. Another do that I have for you is a do ensure that you have everything written down either on a training guide, a training document, or an SOP, standard operating procedure document. You want this document to be so detail-oriented that anyone could pick it up and follow along and execute the task. Now, this likely, I'm going to be honest with you, this likely is going to be tedious to make, and it's going to be much more time-consuming to make than you would expect. But the good news is that once you've got it all done, you're done. It then becomes the VA's responsibility to keep that document updated. That's what we do here. And you can continue then to use it for future hires. I once had a mentor who told me that the only way you could get your team to read your mind is to write it down. And that has, excuse me, that has really stuck with me. (laughs) You should see our SOPs. They are very, very long, but it means that when anybody goes on vacation or if anybody's out sick for any reason, another person on our team can just come come on in and pick up exactly where they left off. Okay, I've got one more do. Do ensure that you know exactly what success looks like in this role and that you've clearly communicated this to your new hire. You want to want to be able to sit down with them, ideally at 30, 60, and 90 days to check in and talk through ob- what is objectively working and what is not working. You need to be crystal clear on what success means in this position, what the success metrics are for this position. So for example, it might be respond to 100% of customer service emails within 24 hours, Monday through Friday, right? That is crystal clear. We know this VA is succeeding if they respond to 100% of customer service emails within 24 hours, Monday through Friday. So we need to have your key performance performance indicators, your success metrics, crystal clear, and they need to be communicated to that VA. After all, how else will they know whether or not they're succeeding? Okay. Now hiring and onboarding, I'm going to be honest here, is a whole other skill to learn as a business owner. And I commend you for taking this step to begin with. I bet my bet, my prediction here for you is that you are going to look back and you're going to wonder why you didn't do it sooner. I definitely had that experience myself. I'll also say that I was terrified of paying that first person and whether or not I could afford it. Right. I felt like like financials were tight and I didn't, I didn't want that responsibility of paying someone week in and week out. But so I sat with this decision, honestly, for far too long. And then I just did the math. I think I hired at the beginning, I hired someone for five, five hours a week at $20 an hour. So I paid a hundred dollars a week to that person. And I will tell you it paid off almost immediately. Okay. So I've got a few don'ts before we move to our next question. Don't. 
So I, I guess this is kind of a do and a don't mixed into one. I do have a lot of thoughts on hiring from within your own country and paying people beyond living wages. So I'm going to say, I'm going to phrase this as a don't here. So I don't know about you, but I'm always delivered ads on hiring VAs from abroad. Typically, it's from Eastern Asia, and it's with the promise that for some ridiculously low hourly wage, like $5 an hour, $4 an hour, I'm going to have a fully bilingual VA who can work for me for very, very little money. And I get it. I know why this is tempting, right? Like, would I rather pay (laughs) $20 a week than $100 a week? Well, of course, right? But have I ever known anyone who actually has had a positive experience with an outsourced VA from a company abroad? No, I know a lot of people. I work in the digital space here. So lots of us have used VAs in the past or use VAs currently. I I know so many people who have tried this and I've yet to see it work out. I also, I'm not going to get into it on the podcast here, but I do think that there's something that is um, important about paying people fairly. I'll just say that it's very important to me to pay people fairly. And I don't think when you're paying four or $5 an hour, even if that translates to a good local wage, there's, there's something that just doesn't sit right with me. Okay. So I've got two other don'ts. I'll get off my soapbox there. Don't skip on the onboarding. Don't skip out here. Don't half-ass it. So the first 30 days is crucial in getting a person up to speed and fully trained. So I want you to make sure that you have room in your schedule to put in the attention that this person deserves. I see VA relationships fail when the manager, when the, you, know, you, the listener, don't fully set them up for success. And that's not fair for that person either. So the final don't that I have is don't give up if it doesn't work out on the first try. At this point, I have had lots of people rotate in and out of our business. Not everyone is the right fit. And it doesn't mean that no one is the right fit for you. It just means that that person wasn't the right fit for that role. I mean, sure, if it becomes a pattern, yes, you've got to examine your own behavior and make sure that you are setting up this role for success. But just because the first person doesn't work out doesn't mean that it will never work out for you. Okay, I hope that leads you in the right direction. Please come back to me and let me know how that lands. Okay, next up. What is the best email software to get retailer emails? I'm going to answer this right after our quick break. Hang tight. Instead of having a sponsor for today's episode, I want to give you a freebie, my retail roadmap. This roadmap is essential for anyone launching or growing a packaged food product, as it clearly outlines the difference between creating a product line that flies off the retail shelf versus one that just sits there. Find my free retail roadmap linked in today's show notes. You are going to love it. Okay, we are back and I'm answering the question of what's the best email software to get retailer emails. 
So I've got two suggestions for you, both which I am going to link in the show notes with a disclaimer, a big disclaimer here that I am not responsible for how you decide to use use these extensions and how you decide to use them in your buyer contact. So the first one is called Lucia. L-U-S-H-A. It is a Chrome plugin and it might be helpful to you. Again, I'm going to link this in the show notes here. So it pulls email addresses from things like LinkedIn, from websites, from social media platforms. And it can be really helpful when you know that contact's name, but not their email address. And then the other suggestion I have for you is called Clear Bit Connect. Again, I'll put it in the show notes. So that's another Chrome plugin that's really similar. You can put in any URL, any website, and it pulls email addresses associated with that website. There are others, there's other software, there's other Chrome extensions that work in a similar way, but Lucia and Clearbit Connect are the ones that I find the most success with. With both, however, you still have to do some good old internet sleuthing, but they do help the process a bit. But again, this is this is my tough love here. I said, said it a bit in the intro. I'm going to remind you of what I teach inside of Retail Ready. While having an email address is great, what's even better is talking to someone on the phone. emails are so easy to ignore. And while it might be intimidating, yes, sure. Sales phone calls are often so much more effective than emails. If you are listening to this and you are inside of retail ready with us, go back to our scripted success bonus module and revisit that phone pitch script that we outlined for you. And then go pick up the phone and make those calls. Once you've got your lead, your sales lead on the phone, you can obviously ask them for their email address, and then you'll follow up with the next step in your sales pipeline, sending them all of your promotional material. Okay. So two resources for you, two resources for you, and a little bit of tough love. Last question here. This is a good one. Allie, how do I stop being reactive in my business? and be proactive instead? Okay, again, this is a big question and it's one that I likely could do, should do a whole podcast episode on, but I'm gonna give the rapid fire response today because that's the theme of today's show. If you want me to talk more about this, happy to do it, just let me know. Again, send me a DM and say more more on that alley. Okay, so how do I stop being reactive? And how do I start to be proactive instead? So my simple answer, this almost oversimplifies it, is that it starts with a decision to change and a commitment to allocating time for planning. Now, that might feel really big and abstract and like, no, duh, Allie, when I say that. And it probably brings up a lot of other questions for you. Like you're likely asking yourself, okay, planning what, Allie? And it varies from business to business, and it all depends on your business goals. So you might not have business goals. Well, that's a step that you could take in being proactive instead of being reactive. So if I say goal planning and you automatically tune out and you think, oh, that's not for me. That's not why I started my business. I want to go with the flow. I want to remind you that goal planning doesn't have to be only about numbers and sales stats and growth goals, it can be a goal on 
how you want to feel in your business or how much time off you want to take or how much savings you want to build or how many fun collaborations you want to do this year or how many new destinations you want to visit. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about being a business owner that you get to decide what the business goals are. Okay, anyways, back to being proactive. Here's what you're going to do. I want you to schedule 30 minutes in your calendar each week at a standing time. Choose a time that you know you are going to be free and a time where you know that you will have a clear headspace and a time in your week that you that works for your own personal workflow, your own personal rhythm. This is going to be thinking time, deep thinking time. So you've got to identify what time of day and what time of week you do your best thinking. So I, for example, would not be scheduling, will not be scheduling, do not schedule my thinking time or my planning time on Friday afternoons. Why not? I mean, I literally have nothing on the calendar after noon on Fridays. I've got an expanse of time where I could be planning. Well, by Friday afternoon, I know myself. I am beat. My brain is mentally exhausted from the week. I'm done. (laughs) I'm likely thinking about what I'm getting up to on the weekend or how soon I can shut off my computer. I'm not in the headspace to work on my business. On the other hand, Tuesday mornings, seem to work perfectly for me. I've already started into my work week. I've crossed off all my urgent tasks that need to get done at the beginning of the week on Monday morning. I'm really focused in my mornings. Just personally, I work really well in the mornings before I get mentally tired from our coaching calls or team collaborations. So I block out 30 minutes on my calendar on Tuesday mornings, and that time is sacred for me. So what do I do with that time? It's simple. I answer the question, same question every week. What can I do this week to move closer to my goals? I list out three things and that's it. If you've been following me for a while, you know that I'm all about these key three things. I then plan when I can work on those things during the week. I choose to be proactive towards my goals rather than reactive in my business. Now, I know that this was a retail ready student who submitted this question. So I invite you to come and continue the conversation with me on an upcoming coaching call or in our student group. I think that this is a really common question. You always, so often I hear food founders say that, you know, you feel like you're spinning your wheels, you're running around, putting out fires. You're, you have to be reactive in your business. So without knowing which ways in particular you, the person who submitted this question, you are being reactive. And if maybe there's a pattern to the type of thing that you find yourself reacting to, I can't give you a more specific response here. But for me, it all comes down to choosing to make time, proactively make time to work on my business. I actually have a great podcast episode. It's episode number 116 on working on versus in the business. I'm going to link it up again in the show notes. It dives deeper into this subject. So it might be helpful for our our listeners if that sparks interest for you. Okay, my whizzes, here we are about to kick off episode, excuse me, um, season 13. So today, here's what we talked about. 
We talked about moving from farmers markets or any channel to wholesale. We talked about hiring VAs. I talked about my do's and don'ts and got on my soapbox for a moment there for you. We talked about getting how to get wholesale buyers email addresses. I gave you two resources there and I told you that there's another way. (laughs) And then finally, I shared my best tips on how to start being proactive in your business instead of being reactive. To oversimplify it, it starts with a choice to set aside time. So I'm curious, which question and which answer did you need to hear today? So let me know. I love, love, love knowing who is listening and who is following along. So shoot me a DM on Instagram. I'm at it's Allie Ball. I'll link that in the show notes. Or even better, like I said in the intro, grab a screenshot and post this episode, post this podcast to your stories so I can share it in my feed as well. Your support and sharing of the podcast helps me reach even more food founders. And I can't thank you enough for helping me spread the word as we kick off season 13. Okay. So that is it for me for today. As always find out all of the details and all the links to the resources I mentioned in today's show directly in the show notes, as well as an invite to join our food biz Wiz Facebook group, where we are close to 3000 food and beverage founders continuing the convo around these podcast topics. So next week, next week, we are back with a really, really special episode. I welcome in retail-ready student Diana Gerard of Magic Dates, along with the creative team at Here and Now Creative Co. And we are walking you through the behind the scenes of a rebrand of Diana's delicious date bites. So it's a really great episode that shares the perspective of both from both the food founder and the design team as they navigate that creative process of new visual branding, new messaging, and new packaging for magic dates. So just hit subscribe on the podcast feed so you don't miss out on that episode and all future episodes, of course. And I will be right back here next week. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks for listening to Food Biz Wiz. If you're enjoying this podcast and the tools it gives you for growing your packaged product business, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. From one small business owner to another, I am deeply grateful for your support of this podcast, and I appreciate it when you share it with your fellow food founders, share it on social media, or leave me a review on your listening platform. Ready for more? Find out how we can work together at foodbizwiz.com. I'll see you right back here next week.